been so good to hear over and over again that truth uh, that we're so in need of hearing and the reality that we're so in need of experiencing. So the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want for anything. Uh, So thanks for that reminder. Uh, We are nearing the end of our series in the book of 1 Peter. We've just been going through the book verse by verse, trusting that God's Spirit will work through God's Word to build up His church. And so 1 Peter chapter 5 is where, we've, is where we're at this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can open up to that. We're going to read from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 in just a moment. Next week will be the week that we finish up this series in 1 Peter. And then we're going to be doing uh, a series where we're in a different book each week, uh, looking at what the Bible has to say about what we're to be as a church as far as outreach is concerned. So uh, last couple weeks here in 1 Peter... You notice maybe uh, also inside the bulletin that there is a sermon note and application guide that might help you during the sermon and hopefully after the sermon. We don't want to be people that just hear some words, but that we hear the Word of God and let it shape the way that we think and the way that we live. And so hopefully that application guide might help you with that. But you notice maybe that the, uh, the title for today's sermon is A Good Church. Lots of people are looking for a good church. Everybody wants to be a part of a good church. Not many people want to be a part of a church that's not a good church, right? And so people that are new to a town, maybe you've moved recently or, or even are in the process right now, and you're looking at something like what people call church shopping. You want to land in a spot that's a, a good church. You want to be with the people that are good people. So how do you know if you found a good church? What are the criteria? Are we a good church? That's a good question to ask, right? Some people, they would say, well, I want, I want a good feel. The question they ask to determine whether or not a church is a good church is, what does the place feel like when I walk in? What kind of ambiance? Is it, is it some people want some traditional stained glass with pews, and that reminds them of something from the past, and they're like, yes. That's what I want. That would feel like a good church. Other people, they want something a little more modern and edgy, and so they might determine whether a church is a good church or not, somewhat based on how it feels. Some people might be looking for a church that's a good size. They might have an ideal size in mind that in some cases people are thinking, I want a small little church where everybody knows your name and everybody knows your business. Or other people are saying, I'd rather have a really large church where I can just go and kind of blend in. And so some people determine whether a church is a good church or not based on a good size. Some people are looking for good music. They ask the question, well, was that a good church? Yeah, well, did the music move me? Did it do something in me? And for some people, that means singing older songs that are rich in tradition and and deep in in words that just kind of do something in your soul and you say, yes, that's a good church because they have good music. For other people, it's like having a rocking band up on the stage that they can sing along with. And if that happens, they're saying, yes, that's a good church because it has good music. Maybe it's good preaching. Maybe it's good programs. You know, they ask the question, well, what do they have for... And then you fill in the blank. What do they have for my kids? What do they have for my teenagers? What do they have for my marriage? What do they have for fill in the blank with whatever? And if they've got the right programs, then it's a good church, right? And those are the criteria that most of the people in our culture would use to determine whether we're in a good church or not. 
Now, Peter, in the book of 1 Peter here, this is a letter, remember, that's written to Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. And you might remember that the Christians that he's writing to are a small minority. They're living in this Roman Empire where most of the people living around them are not Christian. And persecution is starting to ramp up. It started to some degree and they're suffering for it. And it's only going to get worse. And so Peter's writing them this letter saying, listen, as you're living as Christian people, as a part of a church in the midst of a culture that's becoming or that is largely unchristian, how ought you to live? And one of the things that he says as he gets to the close of his letter here is, listen, you need to be a part of a good church. You need to be taken care of in that church. And here's what a good church looks like. Now, he's not giving us an exhaustive list. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list of what a good church looks like. But he recognizes the need for these people to be in a good church. And he says that this is kind of what's required. Big idea for today's message is this. A good church is one led by elders who shepherd in a godly way and one filled with humble members. Okay, That didn't show up on my first list of criteria that a lot of people use. Was the music good? Was the band rocking? Was the, did, it, did it feel right? Um, but those are a couple of things that he seems to highlight here at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you, let's read the Word of God. If you're able to, because it's God's Word, let's stand together. As I read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then I'll pray. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. We do trust that it is your intention that by the power of your Holy Spirit, working through your word, you would build up your church today. We want to be a good church. We know that there are ways in which we can grow in this. And so there's commands here in this passage. There's declarations of truth in this passage. And I pray that through those commands and through those declarations of truth, you would build us up this morning. Would you take away from our minds any distractions that are causing our minds to wander somewhere else and help us to focus in on what your word has to say this morning, that we might be shaped and molded by it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so again, in the bulletin, there is that outline that might be helpful for you to follow along. And the first point that I lay out in there is, A good church is a church led by elders who shepherd in a godly way. He begins in chapter 5 by saying, So I exhort the elders among you. Now, just to to kind of point out New Testament background a little bit, 
the leaders in the church of the New Testament are referred to with a number of different terms, but all the same office. That is elder, or sometimes it's translated overseer, sometimes it's translated shepherd or pastor, but really all the same role, okay? The church is to be led by elders, shepherds, pastors, overseers, whatever word. But here, Peter uses the word elder, but then talks about the work of shepherding and oversight. So it's kind of all together here in this passage. Now, let's just quick look at at the address from verse 1, and then we'll get right into the meat of it. Verse 1, he says, So, I exhort the elders among you. Okay, so who, what's he doing? He's exhorting. We don't use that word. Like, like parents don't use that with your kids, right? Like, I exhort you to eat your vegetables now, right? But that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm giving you a, a command, an encouragement, a way that you should go. And so he's giving a command, and he's giving it to whom? To the elders. So he's starting out by talking specifically to the elders. And I kind of imagine, um, so Peter is writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, right? But I kind of imagine that when probably an elder in the church is reading this letter to the church as they gather together, that, that all the elders, if they're not already sitting up front, kind of come up front and they're, and they're, they're hearing him read these words, because this is specific to those elders, okay? So I exhort the elders among you, okay? I exhort the elders among you, um, and, and we don't know who the elders were in any of these churches in Asia Minor, but I am going to refer to, a number of times in this message, our own church, because I think it's good for us to reflect on our own church, and, and we do in our church. Our church is is a congregational form of government, so so governed by the congregation, by the members of the church as a whole. But the members elect, nominate, and then elect elders to oversee the ministry of the church, to shepherd the flock. And so I think we should know, because uh, some of you know that, uh, some of you don't. Uh, so elders in the church this year, there are six of us, okay? So I, as a pastor, serve as one of the elders, um, and then there's five other elders as well. And just so you know who they are, I'm going to make them stand, okay? Not the whole sermon, uh, just right now. So Mark Guy is one of our elders, uh, and uh, Ron Allen is one of the elders. Lynn Lee is one of our elders, and Bob Tim is in the back in the booth. He's one of the elders, and then Bob Reekin is not here this morning, right? Yep, uh, and he's one of the elders as well. So that's the elders among us, okay? The, these are not the people that Peter is directly addressing, but... This, this stuff in the next couple of verses, this applies mostly to these that are elders in our church, right? Peter's writing to the elders that are among you in all these different churches. And then he says it's from him, and he, re- he reminds them of who he is. He says, as a fellow elder. He's saying, I'm one of you guys, okay? I'm a fellow elder, and he reminds them also, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Remember, this is Peter the disciple who watched who watched as Jesus was put on trial, who was there just denying him just moments before that. Uh, So all of that stuff, right? This is that Peter, and he's writing this letter saying, listen, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. We've seen all throughout this letter, Peter's talking to this group of Christians that are suffering, and he always takes them back to the suffering of Jesus and almost always takes them forward to the glory that's still to come. And he's doing it again here, okay? But now we get into kind of the meat of what he's trying to say. And we see in this three exhortations and three declarations. 
So exhortation number one starts in verse two, and that is specifically to elders. He says, I exhort the elders among you, and here's what they're supposed to do. You want to know what elders are supposed to do? Here's what it is. Shepherd. It's a verb there. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What's a shepherd? A shepherd is someone who takes care of... Right, great. Okay, An elder is someone who takes care of sheep. And sheep need somebody to take care of them because on their own, they're pretty defenseless and vulnerable and not all... Not altogether smart all the time, right? So, so shepherd, sheep need shepherds. And so God has provided for the church, and, and God calls the church here the flock of God. Okay, so he says, elders, your job is to shepherd, care for, uh, the way I've said it to because I think it's a good description or a good summary of what Scripture says elders are to do. We are to know, lead, feed, and protect. That's what shepherds do for their sheep. They know them, they lead them, they feed them, they protect them. A little more on that a little bit later. But he's saying, listen, you need to shepherd, and who are you shepherding? The flock of God. Reminding them, hey, listen, these people that you're shepherding, they don't belong to you. They're entrusted to your care for a period of time, but they have been called out by God, called together by God, and they're going to be sent out by God. This is God's flock, right? So you're taking care, as elders, you're taking care of the flock of God and those that are among you, okay? We don't have, as the evangelical free church, we don't have like this hierarchy of denominational leadership where we have people overseeing us that live somewhere far away from here that, that wear certain clothing, right? We, we don't do that. The, the people that, we, we have a congregational form of church government, and the elders that are among us are the ones that lead us, okay? So he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. We're not shepherding other flocks of God somewhere else. We're shepherding, shepherding this particular flock right here in Iowa Falls, Iowa, okay? And then he goes through, the rest of verses 2 and 3 are kind of this, here's how not to shepherd and how to shepherd. So I'm not going to go into any of these in detail, but he says these things. Exercising oversight. Okay, so, so part of the, the elder's work is to oversee things, leading. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Okay, nobody should have to twist your arm into being an elder. Like, hey, you got, like, no, not under compulsion, but willingly. You serve as an elder in the church willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain. So you're not becoming an elder in the church to get something for yourself. But you do it with eagerness. It says, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. You don't do it because you're power hungry. Right? You don't domineer over those in your charge. That's not a good elder. But instead, a good elder is one who is an example to the flock. So, in the rest of Scripture, when elders are addressed... Paul, when he's talking to, there's a group of elders leading the church in Ephesus. And when Paul is talking to them in Acts chapter 20, here's what he says to them. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul is saying, listen, Jesus bought the church with his blood. And he's entrusting 
you to care for them. And part of the way that you care for them is you pay careful attention to their lives. You know what's going on in their lives, but you also got to know what's going on in your own heart. Elders are those that pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock. They're being examples to the flock, as it says in 1 Peter 5.3. 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says something very similar to the younger elder, Timothy. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Okay? All right. So that's the first exhortation. It's specifically to elders, which only affects a few of you in here. But the next declaration, the first declaration, that's for everybody. Because look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is, this is something, he's just saying this is true. There is a chief shepherd. And the chief shepherd is not the senior pastor. It's not the chair of the elders. It's not, it's not somebody else in some office, some church office somewhere else. No, the chief shepherd is Jesus. Okay? The chief shepherd is Jesus. That's why it's capitalized probably in your Bible. The chief shepherd is Jesus, and he's coming back. Right? So, so I get to be a pastor. We get to serve as elders for a period of time watching over the flock of God. But Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's going to come back. Really, in the end, all of us, like me, I know uh, Louis Martinez was here before I was as the interim pastor, but really, in effect, all of us pastors are just interim pastors. We're just going to be here watching over the flock for a period of time. I hope it's a long time, but I'm just an interim pastor. And what's going to be way better for this church is when Jesus, the chief shepherd, appears, right? We long for that. We wait for that. We pray for that to come. Jesus, the chief shepherd, appears, and then it says the elders actually get something. You see that in the rest of verse 4? It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now again, elders, you're not supposed to be an elder for selfish gain, right? You're not, so, so you're not like, I'm just doing this so I get the crown. Right? You know, you know what I'm pretty sure that we're going to do? If we actually get a literal physical crown, you know what I'm pretty sure we're going to do? I'm pretty sure we're going to do what the elders that are around the throne of Jesus are doing with their crowns right now. Turn to Revelation chapter 4 really quick. Revelation chapter 4 tells us John has this vision that God gives him. And in that vision we read in John chapter 4 that he sees Jesus seated on the throne. And there's 24 elders surrounding the throne. And listen, they, they maybe have some crowns too it sounds like. And listen to what they're doing with their crown. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. And the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. And they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's what I want to do. If I, if, if I get a literal physical crown with whatever, I, do, I, wanna, I, wanna, I can't wait for the day when I can take that off my head, however long it sits on there, and cast it down at the throne of Jesus because he is the one who is worthy to receive glory and honor and power forever and ever, and I'm not. Right? And so that's what the elders are doing around the throne, and I'm sure the faithful elders who received 
the unfading crown of glory when the chief shepherd appears will do the same thing. Question before we move on to the second point, and that is this. Is Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church a good church? I mean, that's kind of the logical application of this. We need to ask ourselves. Now, if we go with the criteria that I shared at the beginning that are really common, then the answer might be no. Right? It might be no. But here's the truth. Those criteria that a lot of people use, whether it has a good feel, whether the sermon hits you just right or the music makes you feel just right, all that kind of, they have the right, right programs, all that kind of stuff. You can have all of that. And, and many of you have seen this up close and personal. You can have all of that. A nice building, a good band, friendly greeters, good youth programs, good children's programs, engaging sermons, but the church can still all just fall apart and be totally ineffective. A good church is a church who has biblically qualified elders who shepherd the flock in a godly way. And so, if we're asking, is Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church a good church? In my limited experience and being here two and a half years, I'd say, "Uh uh-huh, it is. It is a good church. If this is part of the criteria, if part of the criteria of being a good church is that we've got a church that is shepherded well by elders who who shepherd in a godly way, say, yeah, I think this church is doing, doing pretty well. So I'm thankful for the elders that I get to serve with in this church. They've served this church well. Most of it you probably don't know uh, what it is they're doing. I'm just going to tell you a little bit, just so you know, because uh, some of you might want to be an elder someday. Uh, I mentioned that, that uh, I think it, it makes sense for elders to know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. We want our elders to know the people in the church. So, so when they stood up, some of you might have been saying, you know what, I don't actually know a lot of people in this church yet, but I know a lot of those guys. Because they're the kind of guys that get to know other people. Um, and that's good. Elders get to know other people. They pray for people. They meet with people. Our elders are the ones that lead our life groups, right? Because, because we want them to get to know the flock that they're called to shepherd. They're also involved in leadership. Right? So if you're an elder, you go to meetings. That's part of that's, you go like a lot of meetings, right? That's part of the deal, too, because they're supposed to exercise oversight. They're involved in the administrative leadership of the church. So they'll be on a committee. They'll be uh, on the leadership council, which is the elders and deacons meeting together. In addition to that, elders have meetings usually after that meeting. We have other meetings in the middle of the month. We meet on Sunday mornings to pray together for the church. So elders go to meetings in order to lead well. They feed. Um, as, as, as one of the elders, as the pastor, kind of my, one of my chief roles is to preach and to teach. Um, but it says in 1 Timothy 3 that elders are to be able to teach. And so our elders teach in other settings as well. Um, and sometimes one-on-one, sometimes in a classroom, wherever. Sometimes in their home. And then elders are to protect. So one of the things that we do as elders is we interview potential members. Um, People want to say, hey, I want to be a member of this flock. As elders, part of our protecting role is we will sit down and interview people because we don't want to let wolves in amongst the sheep. That wouldn't be being a very good shepherd, right? So we want to hear someone's testimony, hear what they believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we also talk to members who seem to be headed in a dangerous direction. That's what shepherds shepherds do with their sheep sometimes. They see them veering off into danger, and good shepherds will tell their sheep, Oh, 
I've noticed this. Is that the direction you want to be going? <laughs> We've got good shepherds in this church, and I'm so thankful uh, for each of them. Now, question though. Uh, what about elders in the future? I mean, these guys uh, have served faithfully, many of them, for a number of years. But, but what about elders in the future? We need to be raising up future elders in the church as well. So I'll just ask the question to you, do you aspire to be an elder? We need elders. We need elders. And, and so maybe you're going to be one of the future elders in this church. You might say, well, I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm, I'm not like those guys. That's okay if you're not like those guys, and they might be the first one to say, that's okay if you're not like me, right? A couple of things you need to know about us. It's like, well, we're not always as mature as we are right now. We haven't always been as mature as we are right now. We're continually growing just like the rest of you, right? And and we're probably not as mature as you think we are, <laughs> um, right? And so, so you might have an idea in your head like, oh, this is what an elder is like. If you aspire to be an elder, if you desire to be an elder, let me know that. I would love to let one of the elders know, hey, I'd like to be an elder someday so that we can train you up as an elder in the church. A lot of requirements, but really it all comes down to a lot of character stuff. So if you're working on this stuff and you never become an elder anyway, still great. If you want to know what it takes to be an elder, just read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It's got qualifications there. Here's what an elder in the church is like. So read 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7 and pray through it. Say, God, help me to be this kind of guy. All right, last point, filled with humble members, okay? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, 1 through 4 is mainly directed at elders in the church. Verse 5, it gets to everybody else. Here's what it says. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Okay, so the elders in verses 1 through 4 are talking about this position of elder, and most of the time in those churches, the elders had been Christians for a little bit longer than the other people, and typically they were older than the other people in the church. So now he's talking to those that are not in that position of elder, and he tells them, be subject to the elders, or be submissive to the elders. Peter, remember, all throughout this letter has gone back to this theme of submission. Chapter 3 is all sorts of, here's how you should live a holy life in front of ungodly people. We're the kind of people that gladly submit. We don't buck against authority. We submit ourselves, first of all, to the authority of Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, who is the head of the church, who is Lord. Right? So we submit ourselves to him, and underneath that, we are not, we're okay with authority. So there's things like, um, like, like you see at the beginning of chapter 3, submit to governing authority. Right? Submit to, like, like wives, submit to your husband. Uh, employees or bond servants, submit to your masters or employers. Right? So we see all of that. And now here it says, the younger in the church submit to the elders. And again, this makes it easy uh, when they're people that, that, uh, that seem like godly people who you want to submit to. And I would say that the men in this church that are serving as elders are that. Verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the younger be subject to the elders. And then we get exhortation number three, and that is for all of us. So here, so some of you are like, okay, I'm not an elder. Um, 
here's one for all of us. This is for elders, everybody in the church. The end of verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why is humility so important? I mean, of all the things that Peter could have said, here's how, here's how you become a good church. He could have said lots of other things. And in other spots in Scripture, they say lots of other things about how to be a church. But here, Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Why is that so important? I think it's because of this. Because without humility, a church is not a good church. Churches that are filled with people who who are just there to get whatever they can for themselves, it's not a very good church. Churches that are filled with people who think that their opinions and their preferences are superior to anybody else's, not a very good church. Remember that the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be a visible representation to the world of what the body of Christ looks like. Right? So you want to know what Jesus looks like? You're supposed to be able to look at his church, his body, and say something like that. Not exactly like that, but something like that. Right? And so you should be able to look at the church. And if the church isn't humble, if the church is is filled with people that are prideful and arrogant, that's not a very good picture of who Jesus is. Right? Because if we're going to represent Jesus to the world, we ought to, for sure, above many other things, be a humble people. So I want you to turn, if you could, to Philippians chapter 2. I just want to read a little bit of application because you're like, okay, so he says, clothe yourselves with humility, and that's all he says, really, about that. But we need to know what that means a little bit more. So if you turn back into the book of Philippians... a little bit further back. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, starting in verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now listen to this. See if this sounds like humility to you. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, that's hard to do. I think I'm a pretty big deal. Don't you? I mean, I'm not asking if you think I'm a big deal. You you think you're a big deal, don't you? Right? Count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. It's easy to do that. I want to get what I want to get. I want to care what I want to care about. But also to the interests of others. And then here's why. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we as a church are going to be a good visible representation of Jesus to a lost and dying world, 
we live in a world that's, that's probably going to be coming more and more like the world that Peter was writing to. Where, where the number of Christians is getting to be less and less and the number of non-Christians is greater and there might be persecution coming. And Peter's message to them and the message to us is we need to be humble, church. We need to be humble. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. If we're not doing that, we're not pointing other people to Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves, are we a humble church? Well, we could grow, couldn't we? I mean, if we're comparing ourselves to others, we might be, yeah, I think we are pretty humble. That's a pretty not humble opinion of yourself, right? What if we compared ourselves to Jesus? And we're saying, what we're trying to do is we're trying to reflect Jesus to the world. That kind of humility, are we there yet? Nope. So we could all stand, all of us in the church, elders, everybody in the church, could stand to clothe ourselves more and more with humility. How can we do that as a church? How do we cultivate humility in our lives? I think, I think we see it. We see it happening in the fact that we are able to do what we do as a church. Right now there's people serving in the nursery. There are every Sunday morning people who humble themselves and say, you know what? I'm going to count other people as more significant than myself because I'd like to be in here singing with the church and hearing the sermon in here, but I'm going to go in there instead, and for this week, I'm going to count others as more significant than myself and get in the rotation to serve in the nursery so that other people who are more significant, more important than me, not only looking to my own interests, but to the interests of others, I'm going to let them be in there. I'm going to serve families in that way. I'm thankful that there's so many of you in a nursery rotation. A number of you, we did our training for Awana this week. A number of you have committed already, saying, I'm going to give up an hour and a half in the middle of my week when I'm tired and worn out, and I'm going to come and I'm going to serve kids so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for doing that. That shows humility as a church. A number of different ways in which we lay down our own desires to serve others. Declaration number three. This is the end of verse 5. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's two groups, right? You've got the proud and the humble. To one group, God is showing grace. And to the other group, God is opposed. Which one do you want to be a part of? God opposes the proud. Those who are unwilling to submit. They, they think they've got it all together. It says God opposes those. Those who are proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Let's be humble. So to wrap it up, looking at this last point, we've got to ask the same question. Is Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church a good church? If the answer lies in whether we have a great band with sweet programs and a celebrity pastor that meets in a state-of-the-art facility, nope, we're not a good church. Right? You can go look somewhere else. If that's your only criteria, right? We've got a lot of work to do as a church. But if two of the main criteria are that we be a church that are led by elders who shepherd in a godly way and get increasingly filled with humble members, then I think we're a pretty good church. With still a lot of growing to do, but a pretty good church. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. We need to be raising up more elders for the future. We need to continue to grow in humility towards one another. But in the end, 
a church that is focused consistently on Jesus, who is the great shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. If we keep our focus there on him, I think we will be a good church. Just have to throw out there too, you know, as we talk about this, we're like, well, am I a part of the church because I show up on a Sunday morning? No, you really become a part of the body of Christ when you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. That's when you're brought into the flock, right? And so, so I just encourage you, if you don't, if you don't trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, if you haven't put your faith in Him, we'd love to have you come and join the flock. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. Lean into Him as the shepherd who will lead and feed and know and protect you. And above all, we need to continue to recognize Jesus as the head of the church. He is the chief shepherd, and He is coming again soon, and that's good news. We long for that. We pray for it. We need Him to lead us, don't we? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You reveal Yourself to us in Scripture in so many ways. Today, we're reminded of the fact that you reveal yourself to us as shepherd. We want to be the kind of people who can cry out, as your people have done for centuries, thanks to Psalm 23 that you've inspired, that we can cry out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. We need that today. We need you to be with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We need you to be with us because we fear. We fear. We're worried. We're anxious about many things. And help us to fear no evil because you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. God, I thank you that you're our shepherd. Pray for those that that have not trusted in Jesus. They're sheep that are straying, or maybe not even sheep at all, that they're, that they're, they're wandering away. You say in, in, in your word that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each doing our own thing, wandering our own way. God, we want to be a church that continually comes back to Jesus, submitting ourselves to Him daily as Savior and Lord. And for those that have not yet done that, God, I pray um, that, that you would be at work in their heart today, reminding them that they need a shepherd, they need a Savior. They need to submit to Jesus as Lord. God, I pray that you would be at work leading us. Thank you for the faithful elders that you have raised up in this church to serve this church for a number of years. I pray that you would raise up more and more amongst us. But in the end, God, we are all humbled under your Lordship. And we ask that Jesus, Savior, you would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to sing a closing song. It's a song, uh, this is one of the songs that's been sung for a long time. Uh, the first time anybody saw it, it was in a children's hymnal in 1836, and they put a lady's name on it. They're not even sure if she actually wrote it. She just put it in there, so they're not even sure where this came from. But for a long time, the church has been singing this song, recognizing Jesus needs to shepherd us. Uh, we need Jesus as our shepherd. So if you, so, some of the words are kind of old, but try and work your way through that uh, and hear the message that this song is saying. And why don't we go ahead and stand and sing a closing song together. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us.